Hey people, we have an amazing podcast for you today. Calvin Parker has an extraordinary story to tell. His new book, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story by Calvin Parker, recounts how back in 1973, Calvin Parker and Charlie Hickson were taken against their will into an alien spacecraft as they fished beside a Mississippi bayou. And you know, one of the reasons why this is so fascinating is that Calvin's story is one that most experts, including Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who headed up the U.S. X-Files for many years, when they weigh up all the details and all the facts and take everything into consideration, most people believe that Calvin is telling the absolute truth, at least as far as he believes what he has experienced. This is one of the most well-documented, well-investigated cases of UFO experiences ever anywhere in the world. And it's one which is believed to be the most credible. If UFOs are real, if that is the case, then this is one of the cases deemed most likely to be a real, genuine, credible UFO abduction. The U.S. Air Force interviewed these guys. The men even took multiple lie detector tests, which they passed with flying colors. There were multiple other witnesses to the, to the UFO, not to the actual abduction, but to the UFO. There were some physical marks left on Calvin Parker. But it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because people today on the podcast, we have none other than Calvin Parker himself to tell you his story firsthand. If true, then Calvin's story is one of the most important and exciting stories a human being has ever told. But make up your own minds, take it from the man himself. Here on the podcast is Calvin Parker. Enjoy. Good morning, Calvin. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? Very good indeed. Thank you, Calvin. Very good. Um, it looks a bit like Mississippi out here today. I'm just outside of London, but it's about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's very rarely like this. So uh, it's it's a wonderful day here in England. Yeah, it's about 100 degrees already here, 100% humidity, but that's fine. I love it. Wow, that is incredible. I, personally, I also love the weather like that. Um, it's uh, for us here in the UK. Um, it's a, it's a kind of tradition that we complain when it's hot. We complain when it's not hot. We complain when it's raining. We complain when it's not raining. So, uh, but I think everyone's enjoying it so far, anyway. Well, this winter was so cold. Everybody sat around here and hoped for summer. Now that summer's here, it's like you say they complained about that. Yeah, it's always the way, so. isn't it? Um, now, I guess, what's that like for the fishing? Do you 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 don't fish as much when it's when it's hot and sunny like this? I guess it's better when it's rainy, isn't it? I just fish at night. Okay. So. Um. Now, obviously, that brings us to this fascinating story of what what happened all those years ago, back in uh, 1973. Um. Could you? I know. Uh, you've told the story a few once or twice already. Would you mind just for the listening audience just running us through quickly, sort of, uh, or in your own time, what happened that night? Sure I will. This was October 11th of 1973, and I had just came to work in uh, Pascagoula at a brand new shipyard, F.B. Walker and Son Shipyard, and been here actually two days, and this is my first full day at work. So Charlie and I had got off work and decided to go fishing. Well, uh, 
when we got off, we went to his house, got the fishing equipment, and left. This is probably around 6 a.m. I'm at 6 p.m., I'm sorry. So we get, went to the Shaw Peter shipyard first, and we walked through and got out, and I said, Charlie, you know, this isn't nothing but a garbage dump right here where everybody's been throwing the trash and all. So we had to get our equipment and walk down to the river, which was about 300 foot away. So on the way, you know, we was give out from going through all the marsh grass and all. But uh, when we got there, we kind of sat down on the pier and started fishing. And I heard a noise behind us or seen a reflection off the water in front of us. It was some blue hazy lights. And I really had thought the law was there because their lights is blue down here. And uh, I said, well, the law's here. They're going to make us move a car because they think we're dumping trash like everybody else did here. And he, he, about that time I stood up, and he stood up and turned around, and we seen it. It was a real bright, hazy light then. It wasn't a law. It was the front of this craft, and it had opened the door, and the lights coming from inside of it was so bright, it was blinding. So then three creatures, or what I call creatures, they was uh, robots, more or less robots, come floating out of the craft. It never did sit on the ground. It kind of hoovered two foot off the ground. But three of them came out. Two of them got a hold of Charlie. One got a hold of myself. And immediately when one of them touched me, uh, I felt like he might have injected something in my arm, maybe some kind of shot or something. Because the fear kind of left. Before that, I was looking around trying to hunt a place to run. There was nowhere to actually run. So, uh, anyhow, when, when he touched me, I, the fear went away, and I automatically levitated a couple of foot off the ground. I assume it was a couple of foot. They floated me to the craft, and I kept looking around trying to see Charlie, and I'd never seen Charlie. But they floated us inside, and they kind of made a left turn. And then they made like a right, he made like a right turn. And I call it a he because it was a big old ugly thing. So they put us in a room on about a 45 degree angle. I thought I was probably on a table, but I'm not real sure if it was a table or not. Uh, but I was laying on about a 45 degree angle. And then there's something that just appeared like out of the walls. It wasn't hanging there when I got there, but just kind of come out of the walls, like about the size of a deck of cards, and hoovering around my head, and it clicked four times, one at the beginning of it, one on each side, one under, and one on the other side. And then uh, he got up and left, and when he left... Uh, Sorry, was that Charlie left? Sorry, Calvin? No, I've never seen Charlie the whole oh. time I was on the ship. I was study hunting him. Okay. So the creature the, left. The, yeah, the big mm. ugly creature, Gosh. what I call the ugly one, left. Mm. And then, uh, when, as soon as he did, there's a smaller, thinner, better-looking little creature come out from uh, somewhere. I don't never really seen a door that she came out of. I call it a she because it looked kind of feminine. Mm -hmm. She came out. She stood there and she kind of grabbed around on my face a little bit and looked. Did like what I thought would call a examination, and um, when she was looking, though, you know, I was thinking to myself, "Well, I'll be able to take her," but actually, I couldn't move. I, all I could do was just sit there and stare at her. So, 
all at one time she just uh, said something and her lips never moved, but I could hear it plain as day, don't be afraid. So automatically, you know, I wasn't too afraid because I'd already had what I call a shot or whatever they did. And later on, when they'd done the examination at the hospital, they did find a puncture mark on my arm. But uh, anyhow, she left there and done her little thing and walked around for a minute and left the room. And then the big ugly one came out, floated us, touched me, automatically went up, floated us out to the river again, put me down in almost the same spot he picked me up in, except I was facing the river with my arms stretched out. And then that's the first time I heard Charlie's voice since I had been in there. He said, Calvin, Calvin, you okay, son? And uh, I turned around and I was able to turn around then and look and it was Charlie. So we decided to sit down and talk about it for a minute. We sat down right there on the pier and I told him, I said, Charlie, I don't want nobody to know about this. Don't tell nobody. At the time, Charlie was a good deal older, and I was 19 years old, so, you know, I was still just a kid, really. And he said, don't worry, we're not going to tell nobody. But we started back to the car. We got to the car, and I noticed uh, the window on the passenger side was shattered, and they opened the door, and the window fell out. So when this uh, happened, we both got in the car, and I tried to crank the car, and the car wouldn't crank right away. It took a little bit, and it was a brand-new car. Never had no trouble with it. So eventually got it cranked. We left and went to a Magic Mart store, and that's when uh, Charlie called Keesler Air Force Base. They told him they didn't fool with this kind of stuff no more. They abolished in 60-something investigating UFOs to go to the local authorities. So then Charlie called the local authorities, and they came out, sent a patrol car out in just a few minutes. They come out, stuck their head in the glass, looked around for a minute, told me to step out, told him to step out, and they did like a sobriety test to see if we'd been drinking and all. And Charlie had had one drink. There was a Jim Bean bottle. I don't even know where it come from. Didn't even know he had had it. But it was a Jim Bean bottle in there. And Charlie had one drink out of that, so he wasn't inebriated or anything. They got out, checked us, and told us to follow them to the sheriff's department. So we followed them there. They separated us to start with, interrogated both of us. Then they put us in the room together, and little did we know they had a tape recorder. I didn't find this out until years later. But they had a tape recorder in the room, and they taped everything that was said. And... Uh, that about this time, they called the sheriff, and the sheriff walked in, and he said, y'all could go on home. So from there on, you know, it's just a remainder of the story. The hmm. Next day, we got up and went to work, and uh, wow. news media was there and all. Wow, what an, what an amazing, amazing story, Calvin. Um I can feel the kind of goose pimples uh, on my arms as you tell it, um, just because it's you can just tell that you're telling the truth uh, as far as what you saw. You can just hear that in your voice, and it must have been so for a 19, because you were 19 at the time, Calvin, were you? 
I was, yes, sir. Charlie was a good deal older. I think he was in his 40s at the time. And uh, everybody says that Charlie and I was friends, which uh, I guess in one way we were, but in another way, I read Charlie wasn't. I was more friends with his children than I was with him because I was raised with his kids. You know, we used to all play together and things, and we was so much difference in the age. Charlie was a friend of my father's, and the reason I was down there because uh, I was working in the oil field, and it was 16 hours a day, and I was getting ready to get married, so I wanted a job, a real study job where I could be home at nights, and Charlie had that to offer. Wow, yeah. Um, so, and then did you actually know anything about this kind of thing before this happened? Did you, were you aware about UFOs? I mean, it was a, back in the seventies. This wasn't necessarily something people were really familiar with as they are these days. No, uh, really I'd never heard of them. And as far as social media, you know, there wasn't no social media, computers or cell phones or anything. The only thing you had was ABC, NBC, and CBS on the news, and they didn't dare talk about nothing like this. Mm. So, you know, it never come up. Yeah. So, so I mean, it was probably even more horrifying than, than if you had known and you could have said, okay, this is, I can define this somehow. Whereas the fact that you didn't even, coming from where you where you were in the fat in the time of the, the in back in the early seventies, you just this was not something that you were familiar with. So do you think that made it even more scary because you 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 couldn't say, oh well, this is what's happening? Do you think there was an element there? Well, I give somebody an example the other day. If you're in your own home and somebody kicks the door down and comes in there and gets you and pulls mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm pulls you out and does an examination on you, throw you in a band and kick you out the door. Mm. That's home invasion, kidnapping yeah. and all. And that's more or less what happened to us. We mm. got invaded and kidnapped and brought aboard against our will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I really don't have no hard feelings because it don't do any good to have hard feelings about it. But it took a long time to come to grips with everything. Yeah, I mean, I th- I th- Obviously, the, the the book, and I should mention the book, which is a really fantastic uh, account of what happened. It's really detailed. It's a good long book. It's four hundred odd pages. Uh, it's called Pascagoula: The Closest Encounter. My story, Calvin Parker, and it's got a forward by Philip Mantle, the British um, UFO researcher. And this is available on Amazon. So I would I would re- recommend anyone who's had their interest peaked to look at this book, uh, Pascagoula: The Closest Encounter get that on Amazon. Um, now, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, it, it really strikes me. And what I was going to say is how haunted you look in the book when, you, and it's just, you can tell in your, in just this one photo of you s- sitting next to Charlie Hickson, um, just the look on your face and you just, you're obviously reflecting on what's happened and trying to make sense of it. Uh, and for a young kid, it's just, you know, you, I was saying to Philip as well, as you just said, if you change the terminology and you instead of saying abduction and uh, aliens, etc., and you if you just put it quite clearly, if you were kidnapped and assaulted, there's a whole institutionalized program of support that's going to kick in for you immediately. Whereas for you as a 19-year-old, you're suddenly all of a sudden, you know, having to explain yourself, convince the authorities, while at the same and every and the massive press hordes, which we'll get into, but. Uh, while at the same time trying to uh, recuperate from what was 
quite clearly uh, something of an ordeal. I mean, um, do, do you feel like uh, that, kind, that, I mean, it's clearly had an effect on your life since, would you say? Oh, definitely. From day one, it's had an effect. I know uh, the other day, this uh, one of my neighbors, and I didn't realize who it was, had walked up and uh, he said, where you been? Of course, I've been tied up with this book and all. I said, well, I've been kind of locked up. I'm doing a book right now. He said, what book are you doing? I said, so I went in and got the book and showed it to him. And he said, oh, you don't remember me? I said, no, you must you must not remember me either. He said, I was a foreman at the shipyard. And he said, the one thing that I remember, then I started remembering. He said, the one thing that I remember is when we called to get you, you getting on your hands and knees and throwing up outside in the parking lot. He said, that's how upset you were. And he said, I thought I never would forget you. But I guess 40 years makes a difference in the way you look. It's like going back to when you was in grammar school and looking and you don't find the same people, but you see them in Walmart every day and not know them. Yeah. And that's, mm. People change a lot in that, that much time as well, I guess. You just look different, I suppose. Um, Oh yeah, you get older and uglier. <laughs> well, I know that's, that's yeah. happened to me. My my daughter tells me that sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, gosh, it's just it's just such a fascinating story. I've got so, so many questions for you, but I mean, I think it's interesting. Just on in in the, the other you mentioned about the shipbuilding yard, there was an. I think it's really interesting that there's a nuclear shipbuilding submarine. A nuclear submarine was actually launched from there. I think it was called the William Bates, just six months prior. So. I, I know that these events, there's an argument that um, the, the nuclear material and the, re the reactors, um, there's a physics argument about the entanglement and that that could therefore influence, uh, you know, nuclear material or elements on the other side of the, of the universe. And that perhaps these beings, if they are aliens or extraterrestrial intelligence, they could be attracted by that. And so you see a lot of these events around nuclear missile silos in the in the 70s and 80s so i think it's fascinating that you guys were only about 100 meters away from this the ingles shipyard would that be correct something like that yeah maybe just a little bit further it always felt like it was something that came from the shipyard because even right after this happened i said well you know they might be doing some kind of experiment mm. but uh come to find out you know they wouldn't and later on I felt like, well, the coast, let me go, let me go something else, and it's documented in the book. Two or three days after that, there was some guys fishing, and they called the Coast Guard because there was something under the water out there, and they was following it. The Coast Guard went out and did an investigation on this, and they determined, and the determinations in the book, it was six or seven of them that seen it, that it was, uh, something unordinary mm. so you know yeah, I, I, read that. I read that calvin that it was illuminated it was under the water and did you say there were members of the coast guard i couldn't remember but they're hitting it with an oar and the thing right. was moving around yeah they they was able to reach down and to actually touch it with whatever they had on the boat mm. so you know that's kind of scary too yeah I mean, there's so many points to this story which are just so um, which tick the credibility boxes. I mean, there's the there's the witnesses your, yourselves and and your your story, which is extremely convincing. The fact that the police had the 
recorder in there and they expected you guys to say, okay, when are we going to tell them it's a hoax? And of course you're praying, panicking, and that was all picked up. And, and it's interesting to hear you say you didn't even know about that for a couple of years. Um, oh, it was a long time after before I knew about it. Um, and then, of course, there were several other witnesses, not to exactly what happened to yourselves and the abduct, the kidnapping, abduction, whatever you want to call it, but there was a, a, a naval officer who I believe saw the uh, sh ship or this craft in the area, and I think there were several other witnesses as well. I'm pretty sure there were up to 12 witnesses. Um, right. It was hmm. One of them was a probation officer that was driving across the bridge. Hmm. Now, someone asked me, well, why didn't the bridge tender? Because on this bridge, it was tall. It was boats that went under it. Hmm. And for some reason, they had a, a guy sitting there to let the bridge up and down. Hmm. They said, well, why didn't the bridge tender report it? But right after that, the sheriff department went to... Uh, check to see if he seen anything he was laid back in a recliner sound asleep mm. i guess just listening for the radio for somebody to wake him up so that was easy to uh yeah say why he didn't see it yeah well you can imagine that i mean this thing was relatively silent uh i believe you said was would that be correct or was it making yes sir yeah so if and and yeah you can totally imagine someone sitting in the booth you know reading a magazine re watch listening to the radio and not they're not on the lookout for a blue you know craft flying around um which brings me to the noise there was it said in the book there was a zipping noise or that there was some kind of noise when they were speaking to each other i think was that correct yeah it was a little hissing kind of noise mm. and uh i never understood it and and, and then when the craft left it was like shoo, like right. that just that big zip noise when it left and it was out of sight Okay, and did it just disappear then, Calvin, or did you see it zipping away into the sky? Into the sky? It went up a little ways, and it's just like it disappeared in thin air. So you could actually see it moving away, and then it disappeared. Oh, it definitely. Was, yeah, it yes. wasn't like it just snapped, uh, you know, just disappeared and vanished. Okay. But I could, I could see if you was driving down 90 over there looking at it, it would kind of look like a meteor going up instead of coming down. Wow. Like a shooting star almost kind of thing, yeah. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, and now you had this – so the, did you have scratches on your arms as well? Because you had a mark from the needle you, you mentioned. I did. Yeah. When we went to the uh, – first of all, we went to uh, the hospital to get checked out because mm. I was really afraid of having bacteria and radiation. Mm. And a matter of fact, that night I brought that up to Charlie. You know, we need to go get checked because I don't want to expose nobody else. If we got some kind of germ or something like that, you're going to give it to your whole family. Yeah. We'll wipe, we could wipe out the whole population of the world because mm. I, I didn't have no idea what was going on. Mm. Charlie, well, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. And the next day, you know, which was too late because we'd done seen hundreds of people by then. The next day, we went to uh, the local hospital there and got a physical. Mm -hmm. And that's when they found the mark on my arm. And they sent us straight from there to Keesler, and it was quite a few men standing outside with these white suits on to check us for radiation. And, of course, they did. They checked us for radiation, and there was no sign of anything above normal on the radiation. So then they said, uh, before y'all go, we want y'all to go into a conference room. So they walked us into the conference room, and we met with a bunch of Air Force officials there. 
And what the conclusion of that was, it's in the book. I, I'm not mm -hmm. just real sure of all the terminology. Mm -hmm. But we met. They was really nice to us and all. Ask us some, I thought, intelligent questions. Mm -hmm. But I did, again, I didn't want to answer because I didn't want nobody to know about this. So I just took the later road. I kept my mouth shut. Mm -hmm. And they were top brass. Were who were they? Um, what sort of um, officers were they? All um, do you know which part of the air force they were? Or, uh, sorry, part of the naval. I think you said it was. The I'm navy. not for sure. Uh, I'm not real sure about mm -hmm. that. It's in the book. Philip was able to get a hold of all the meetings and the minutes mm -hmm. from that meeting, and I never cared enough about it to look in it because, as far as I was concerned, it was all over with and gone. Sure. And then I, I did have a copy of them. In 2005, we had Hurricane Katrina come through here. Mm. We got about eight foot of water in the house. And I mm. lost everything that I had, you know, containing oh this. I'm sorry to hear that, Calvin. As if you hadn't already been through enough, then you, you have that to deal with. Um, okay. So, and I, but I understand that Philip got a lot of that material. And Philip is the co-author, uh, or he's, he kind of helped to write the book. Is that, would that be correct? Um, that was that's a hundred percent correct. Without okay. Philip, they wouldn't be a book. Okay. He has been a tremendous help for. You looking at a little country redneck that don't have any education at all, and he said, "Well, just send me." Once we sat down and talked, he said, "Well, just send me what you have." And uh, so I sent it to him. He emailed me back. That's why we communicate because of the time difference in places. He said, it's quite a mess, but we'll get it straight. And he was, he was right. We did. With his help, we straightened it out. Well, I have to say, between the two of you, you did an amazing job. And so, again, I'd recommend anyone who's, who's listening to this and it's the first time they've heard of it, get this, this book. It's really – and it's a good price as well because I know before there was a very rare um, edition and it was – over 150 pounds or something. This is so it's called Pascagoula, the closest encounter. My story, Calvin Parker, and uh, with a forward by Philip Mansell. So you can get that on Amazon. Um, now, did were, did you did you say you ha you had the pinprick? But did you also have um, scratches on your arms from the because they had some kind of uh, claw type pincers as a far as right. I, I did have on my uh, left arm. I had a few scratches. It wasn't that that bad mm -hmm. though i mean okay. it was mostly the injection point or i feel like it was the injection mm -hmm. point that's what uh mm -hmm. more or less what the doctors decided then mm -hmm. and do, uh, when okay and when you felt their skin did it feel like they might have had a cut like a, a suit on or was it their skin do you think i really couldn't feel their skin mm -hmm. uh because they were grabbing I you like i feel like it was skin but mm -hmm. i felt like the what I call the big ugly one that come in. Mm. I felt like he was uh, kind of like a soldier, like a robot. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other one, you know, was more humanoid, mm -hmm. human than yeah. anything. I mean, she didn't look like us, but, mm. you know, she wasn't near as scary or anything. I call it a she. It could have been a he. So, okay. But, Sorry to interrupt, Calvin. But, uh, you know, small framed and about four five foot tall four and a half five foot for her and then this other one you know it's kind of stocky didn't have no distinguish between the legs or anything you could tell it had kind of like a slot there but it didn't have you know no way of walking they didn't separate right regular legs mm -hmm. and you said that was very bright in there oh 
you wouldn't believe how bright it was. I once described it, and I still think about it like this. I used to do a lot of welding, and you could see a welding arc from a long ways off. Yeah. And it was brighter than any welding arc I've ever seen. And there was no lights inside once we got in. This was just coming out of the wall. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because, so I guess if you and, – and their eyes were looked very small, did you say? I didn't notice any eyes mm -hmm. on them. Because I wonder the if – I was going to say, I wonder if that gives an idea about if they came from – if they were indeed extraterrestrials that, and it was extremely bright – Perhaps that gives an idea about the orbit of their planet around their star. So maybe they were very close to their star. Uh, so they were used to that brightness. They Perhaps that was just normal for them. And then maybe their eyes were smaller because it was so bright. They didn't need big eyes, I guess. Yeah. Charlie, uh, I, I remember asking him, and uh, he described some kind of facial features. I didn't. I didn't really see any facial features on them, to be honest with you. Yeah. And what about this thing that came out and took, I don't, I don't want to say took pictures, but it kind of did something on each side of you. What did that thing look like? Was it like a cell phone, or what did it look like? About the size of a deck of cards. Mm. The top was blue, and the bottom was silver looking. And the reason I can see the top is I was cutting my eyes to the side. I couldn't turn my head. But uh, I could follow it kind of with my eyes on each side. And then when it get to the one side of my face, it would click. Then it went to the bottom, and it clicked. It was four clicks right there. Wow. And I figured it was some kind of imaging device taking pictures. Huh. Amazing. And then what did the, the sort of one you called the female, was she doing anything else? I mean, is there – I read one account that – was slightly personal, which I can imagine if you don't want to talk about that, but I was just, is there anything you can say about what that one was doing otherwise in terms of the examination? Well, actually I had blocked all this out of my mind. And in the back of the book, you see where Bud Hopkins, I went to see him about something else that was going on. I had some missing time and, uh, I said, well, Bud Hopkins wrote a book back in the 90s on missing time, mm -hmm. and I was curious. He was at a conference. I didn't want to be in the conference or go to the conference, but I wanted to talk to Bud. Mm -hmm. So I went to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and I was able to talk to Bud Hopkins, and he said, let me hypnotize you. So we did. We got a motel room, mm -hmm. and he went up. Now, to be honest with you, he hypnotized me. This is in the last chapter. It's a lot of information that come out in that chapter. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the first thing about being hypnotized. I never thought I could be hypnotized. Mm -hmm. I thought all that was a bunch of bull. Mm -hmm. But I noticed in the book, and then he must have put a post-hypnotic suggestion in there that I didn't remember. But as I could handle it, that I would start remembering it. And now since I started reading some of it, and it's not just because I'm reading it, but I'm mm. starting to remember things mm -hmm. before I read it now that, that's also in the book. Sure. And it's amazing to me just how that works because, I, again, I never thought I could be hypnotized. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess, but so I guess it's uh, what I, because, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one because when you're hypnotized, I wonder to what extent uh, one might be, if you're trying to remember something, what, to what extent one might be influenced by uh, Mr. Hopkins? I know he's a very respected uh, 
researcher, um, so I'm sure that whatever he did was by the book and done correctly. Um, well, to be honest with you, when I went there, uh, I had a man go with me that I really respected and knew I trust, mm. and his name was Jim Kennedy, and he went in the room with me just to keep things on an even keel. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know he wouldn't let anything go on that shouldn't go on, mm -hmm. or he wouldn't let him ask anything or put mm -hmm. anything in my mind that he shouldn't. Sure. And I did have enough sense to do that. And now what about Mr. Uh, so J. Allen Hynek came down, and for those who don't know who that is, he was the... I think he was part of the inspiration for in the Close Encounters film, the beard, the bearded guy who uh, plays a major role. And I think J. Allen Hynek was actually in, had a cameo in the Close Encounters film, and he gave the classifications, Close Encounters of the second kind, third kind. Just just for listeners who don't know, what was it like dealing with him? Because I know that he came down within a, a day or two. He did, and at one time he was over Project Blue Book for the Air Force. Mm. And, of course, all those records are sealed now. But Dr. Hynek and Dr. John Allen Harder from the University of California came down a day afterwards, the next day. Well, Dr. Harder tried to hypnotize me, and uh, I had got so afraid that he brought me back out immediately hmm. and put it in there for me to calm down and not to remember all of it. So he did that. But Dr. Hynek was great. He sat there and we talked told him what happened and missed it, and uh, he was really smart on all this, and his conclusions was, I don't know what happened, but something happened. He said, if these boys is acting, they should be in Hollywood, and I do remember that. Yes, well, I did read that. in the, the That's another thing that's great in the book is all the press reports that you guys have um, included, which really gives an amazing background on the the, the extent to which the press and the the whole world seemingly well certainly in the in the um, the U.S. was um, kind of uh, excited about this and they it doesn't seem like the press was too um, you know you you might expect back back in the early '70s they might be more um, ridiculing you guys a little bit more just through disbelief and sheer misunderstanding of what had happened but they most of the press seems to be very um, positive in terms of your story and believing you guys and they cite Dr. Hynek saying these guys what they happened to them is what is essentially what I believe happened so that really says a lot when Mr. Hynek Dr. Hynek was in charge of uh, UFO investigations for the US government for many years in varying degrees so I think that's really an important point as well um, now in terms of the obviously as we alluded to earlier, this was really a, a tough experience for a 19-year-old to go through and not without the proper support mechanisms. It sounds like, you know, how did how did that affect you in terms of, because you were just about to get married, weren't you? I was. This happened on October the 11th, and I got married November the 9th, and it, it, it really affected me. I ended up, of course, I ended up uh, not having a job because I left right after that going back home had to go back to work and uh so you my wife yeah. believed 100 percent, but i didn't want to tell her daddy about it because he'd think i was a damn nut i thought so i tried to keep it secret then time i got home the news media was at her house waiting on me so but i've never talked about this to family to friends or nobody hmm. 
Well, yeah, I guess per, you know, in, in, as we were saying before, this if you were attacked and kidnapped in any in another situation by humans, sometimes the victim feels an element of shame, and I I can imagine you know you not knowing what had happened, this event happens to you, you're wondering. Obviously, it's nothing to by no means your your fault whatsoever, but I can totally put myself in your shoes and say, right, I've got to go to my father-in-law and explain that I've just seen been attacked by aliens. He's never going to believe it. Um, no, but believe it or not, later on in life, he come to me. He said, you're not going to believe what I've seen wow. down in my back pond. And uh, he's seen some hoovering over his pond back there. And he, the water rolled over and all the fish died when this happened. So, you know, he believed after that. Goodness me. Well, there, there seems like there was a spate of sightings uh, around that time from what I can read um, in the press as well around Mississippi. Um, now, obviously, I, you know, there, there, there's... I totally believe what you what you're saying. It's it's really made my hair stand on end. But just for the the people out there who are skeptical, I've just a couple questions. I mean, could it? It's going to sound silly after everything that we've talked about and 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 how you know honest you come across and everything. But do, could it be that there was some kind of costume? Could these guys be somebody playing a prank? It sounds like there's no way that could be the case. But just to get you, uh, it it absolutely wasn't a prank. Oh. Uh, there's too much that went on, and that would have cost too much. I don't believe even if they had billions of dollars, they could have pulled that off no. as a prank. No. Uh, and, and I would have known if they was human. Yep, and with the with all the other witnesses as well. And, uh, I mean, I should point out as well that you guys passed multiple, as far as I'm aware, there were several lie detector tests, which you guys both. That's true. Charlie and I both passed lie detector, voice stress test. Mm -hmm. Uh, several uh, tests that had come out known on demand, and we passed all of them. And in terms of it being some kind of helicopter or U U.S. military craft, do you think that could be a possibility? Again, by the sound of it, it doesn't sound like it, but what's your take on that? No, sir. It, it was too fast and too quick for one. I actually think if it was anything, it was traveling maybe interdimensional. Because of the way it disappeared, it didn't go straight up. It went straight up in the sky, but then when it left, it just disappeared. And, you know, it's got to be something fast to do that. Absolutely, yeah. And now, were you, you couldn't have eaten something funny before? <laughs> I'm basically just trying to satisfy the people out there who are, who are listening to this and going, well, it could have been this, it could have been that. Do you think you could, did you guys have any food with you at the, at the fishing spot? No, we didn't, and we hadn't had access to any mushrooms, as old country boys say. You know, somebody asked me that. You go out in the cow field and pull the mushrooms out and make tea out of it. It makes you hallucinate. But no, sir, that wasn't a cause. Plus, they took blood at the hospital. Okay, right. Okay, so they did a toxicology test, so that wasn't that right. certainly wasn't the case. Wow, and... um. Now, gosh, the whole th and the, the the whole story is just absolutely uh, fascinating uh, and compelling. Um, did the <clears throat> in terms of um, breathing, were you able to breathe okay inside the the spacecraft? I was breathing fine, mm. and I think if they hadn't uh, injected something in me, I would might have would have panicked, had mm. a panic attack or something. Mm. 
But no, I, my breathing and all was fine mm. in there and now. Mm. Well, I wonder then if, because so. you mentioned it could have been some kind of robot or something. So I wonder perhaps uh, there was, it was just, there wasn't any atmosphere inside that was special for a, for a, for an, a, a living creature. Perhaps it was just the air coming in from outside and hence why you guys could breathe. Do you, I, yeah, do you have a take on that or? I don't know. Mm. Um, I was able to breathe fine mm. though. So yeah. I don't know if they knew we, they might've knew we needed oxygen mm. or if mm. they didn't, yeah. you know, so. And was there a door? Can you remember? And I know this is a, a lot where I'm asking you a lot of questions and you've been dealing with this. Oh, that's fine. Could you see um, some kind of a door open when they were, because obviously they grabbed you and they were ta taking you and they gave you the injection. You kind of went a bit limp by the sound of it and you relaxed. Did you then see a door open with some steps or anything like that? No, it was no steps. The door, I, I believe the door opened when they came out and they just floated us back through it because of the lights, the way the lights were, they were so bright mm. on that door. It's like throwing a spotlight on us. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if we hadn't have been there, you know, I, I would have said somebody put a spotlight on us. Mm. But okay. it was just bright. Yeah. And in terms of anything else inside the, sh the craft, did you think there was, was, did you ever s remember thinking, oh, I could grab that thing or I can, but obviously you were paralyzed, so you couldn't have anyway, I suppose. Now, the only thing I thought I could grab was I figured uh, the, the little smaller mm. being, I could take her if I could have moved. I mm. could have probably grabbed her around the damn neck and drug her out the door. Yeah. But it's probably a good thing I didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> they might have zapped me with something. Yeah, I'm sure that that might have been the case. Um, and so you, but you felt that there was a sort of a tele mental um, telepathy type of communication by the sound of it. They said, calm down to you, or I'm sorry, I'm putting words there. You told me some, another phrase. No, I'm almost a hundred percent chance that they yeah. said that. Yeah. I thought it and it went into my mind. Hmm. I don't, maybe they couldn't, maybe they speak so many different languages. They have to thank them. I, mm. They're so far more advanced than what we are. Mm. And I think there's a reason for it. I just hadn't figured the reason out yet, but we will. And now the other thing, just coming back to when they were, I think in Charlie was saying that when they were communicating with each, with each other, they had a zip. It was like a zip or something like that. Did you hear anything like that inside? The I did. Mm. You know, it was um, kind of like a whisper in a way, but you couldn't, distinguish it it was just like i'm whispering you have a lot of background noise around it like sitting in a busy restaurant or something and trying to listen in on something but you didn't really understand it hmm. interesting um okay and then so obviously then there was this huge press uh you went to the air force the next day for the radiation test was that correct yes sir that's correct and then the 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 the, the press was pounding you something rotten after that. I know that the Dick Cavett show had Charlie on as a guest. Were you on there as well? Uh, I believe it was the Mike Douglas show oh, in sorry. Chicago that we was on or that I went with, with him. Mm -hmm. I just went on one talk show and I didn't want to go back because mm -hmm. <clears throat> I thought it was kind of comical with the way that it came off. Mm -hmm. They uh, got us there and mm -hmm. 
sent a limousine after us. We jumped in it. We waited about 30 minutes. And they drove straight across the road instead of saying just walk across the road. Mm. And I said, hell, that's just a waste of resources. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of comical mm. to me the way they handled it. Yeah, it sounds like there was, they were trying to perhaps win you over somehow, but I guess for you, this was a kind of a traumatic, uh, well, certainly a traumatic event that it must have been. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it must have been frustrating for you to see somebody on a sort of comedic show making light of it, perhaps to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah, I was ready to get out of there. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when we got on the plane coming back, I made a little detour because uh, Betty Hill, Betty and Barney Hill, you know, had been through theirs, and I wanted to go talk to her. He was dead by then. So I went to New Hampshire and spent some time with Betty Hill. And when I was there, I had a real good visit, a few days with her. And it was really, uh, really nice to spend some time with her. And now you, did you feel like having spent some time with Betty Hill, were there some things in common with, did you guys find some common ground and, and did you kind of say, well, she knows what it's like because of certain parts of her experience? I did. And, uh, because of similar things that happened, but the one thing that amazed me, uh, when she got ready to leave it out, she actually took a star map with her. They wasn't going to let her have and that star map, I, I don't know how it ended up. Somebody looked at it, and uh, some some smart person looked at it and decided it was a true star map. Mm. They found a planet that they, she said they came from. But I thought it was amazing, because back then, you know, she was married to a black man. She was white. And stuff like that just didn't happen. The last thing you, that they would want was the publicity put on them like this. Mm. Because things like that just didn't go over in the South then. It does now, and it's fine. Mm. But back in, it didn't. Yeah, and that, that again, I suppose the like, listeners need to be aware of how much of a, probably how much of a stigma you, you particularly felt would be on you if you, just due to what had happened. And it's amazing that you had to go back to work on the month, because I think, did you say it happened? Sorry, what day of the week was it that it happened? Oh. Thursday, October eleventh, nineteen seventy-three, I believe. And you and you had to go right. So imagine having an incident like that these days, and then you got to go right back to work on the Monday, um, having been through that. It's uh, it's incredible, really. Um, Calvin, what do you think? What's your feeling about what it what it was? You're the one that experienced it, and everyone else is conjecturing, and you're the one that actually saw things. Do you have any? Do you know, or do you have any theories as to what you think actually happened? In terms of what, um, what this thing was and who these creatures were, I don't. I don't really have much feeling. I feel like that. Uh, you know, they wasn't from this planet. I think it was maybe from a different planet and far more advanced than what we are here. I don't know what planet they could be from. Anything, mm. but uh, I do feel like they're a lot more advanced than what we are here. Mm. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like that's the case um, based based on the story. It's an absolutely inc fascinating, incredible story. Uh, it, there's the the UFO and the, 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 the sort of technological aspect of it, which is really interesting. But then there's the, the slightly, well, 
the, the tragic part of it is that you went through this without much support. Uh, it sounds like the, did you feel like you had a, some support at some stage afterwards or was it a case of you just kind of had to deal with it on your own? Cause no one had ever well, experienced it before. I didn't tell nobody about it. Didn't want to talk about it. So I just dealt with it on my own. Mm. Uh, I know I had a nervous breakdown at the hospital and, uh, they really didn't care up there. You know, I was in the emergency room. They wouldn't come see me or, but they wouldn't send a doctor out or nothing. Finally, my brother had taken me. He was the closest support I had. My brother had took me to the emergency room. I told him, I said, if you would get up and go to the car, I don't want you in here when I go to jail because I'm fixing to tear this place apart. So he got up, went to the car, and that's when I took a chair and threw it up against the desk and got their attention. Mm. And a doctor came in there to see me then, told them to never let anybody in my state wait uh, once he examined me like that. So anyhow, I, I went through a hard time. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. And I know that must have been, uh, that even after all these years, that, that must be a, pain, uh, a tough, painful memory for you to have to have had to deal with that on your own. Um, so, um, yeah, just, I guess we're coming up on time now, but I really do appreciate you taking the time, Calvin. It's a, it's a fascinating story. The, anyone out there who's had their, their interest peaked, I would recommend this book, uh, wholeheartedly. My story by Calvin Parker, Pascagoula, the closest encounter. You can get this on Amazon. It's at a, it's been reprinted by Philip Mantle and Calvin Parker, um, at a, at a good price. It's, and it's got a lot of extras that, uh, in there which are well worth it um, Calvin is there anything else you want to say anything uh, particular you'd like to say before I let you go all I want to say uh, is thank you for having me on and I really want to thank Philip for helping me with this he he has really helped me come to grips of everything and he's I think he's done an excellent job putting this book together without him it wouldn't be a book I just wanted to take time to thank Philip. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Calvin. Um, and uh, I'll let you go and let you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Uh, and, thank you. Uh, we'd love to have you on again at some stage. Good luck with the book and good luck with everything. Wow, mind absolutely blown by that story, that whole event. So convincing. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a really great day, and uh, I'll see you soon.